Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Dr. Rupi Orderly. He returns to the show to continue our conversation from his first appearance on the podcast about a year ago, but also discuss so much, including his new book, Doctor's Kitchen 321. Now, if you remember, Rupi is a doctor specialized in general practice, and he is a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle change as medicine after positively impacting his own health with dietary and lifestyle changes back in 2011. He's written three cookbooks that share his expertise. So there's The Doctor's Kitchen, Eat to Be Illness and Doctor's Kitchen 321. And he is also the founder of the UK's first culinary medicine course accredited by the Royal College of General Practice, which teams, which teaches doctors and health professionals the foundations of nutrition and how to cook. So he doesn't just talk it he lives it his second series for the bbc has also recently launched and it's thrifty cooking in the doctor's kitchen where he creates simple and delicious meals on a lean budget but we had so much to talk about in this episode as well as as you can already hear so many of his current projects so in this episode we talk about the big change i made to my own diet after speaking to him last time he came on the show as well as the proven long-term health benefits of plant-based eating and why he encourages people in that direction his thoughts on the idea of healthy at any size, what the perfect plate of food actually looks like versus what we're told it should look like, the good as well as the bad side of fast food, there is a good side, but there is a bad side, how one's relationship with food can sometimes need interrogating, and actually it was after this conversation, because this was uh, recorded a few weeks ago now, it was after this conversation and from something Rupi said that uh, made me visit the Beat website, which I'm sure uh, if you follow me, you would have seen I shared on my Instagram page and really find out a bit more about binge eating disorder. We also discussed the difference between guilt and shame and what that means in terms of our relationship with food. 
the idea behind his new book, Doctor's Kitchen 321, and how it'll help you get nearly a kilo of fruit and veg into your daily diet. I thought it was an every meal would be a lot and why he's such a proponent of just one more but also why he's so keen to prove that eating healthily doesn't have to be expensive and honestly there is so much more in this episode i loved this conversation i'm so glad to share it with you the links to ruby his books his tv shows his podcast and his social media because he is a busy guy you can tell all of those things they will all all those links will be in the show notes but i'm so glad that he was able to come back on the podcast i always really enjoy chatting to him he's always very open to having a very open and honest chat, which I really, really appreciate. So here he is once again, Dr. Rupi Orjula on The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome back to the podcast. It's the one and only Dr. Rupi Orjula. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, plodding along, uh, starting 2021 with a fresh perspective, um, but I, I'm I'm very well. Good. I'm glad to, glad to hear it. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. We are talking about, you have a new book out and I could talk to you the live long day about food and nutrition and many, many other things without mm. much of a prompt. But I'm going to let you in on something that really stuck with me when we last spoke and actually has really influenced the way I eat. And it wasn't even that you made a big case for it. It was just that you mentioned with every meal or as much as possible, try to be plant-based. And I cannot Brilliant. tell you how many times I have done my online shopping or I've gone to the supermarket and I have, that has echoed in my mind and I thought, go for something plant-based. That's great. <laughs> that's great. I'm, go I'm going to work on my simplified messaging. If that's like the most effective thing that you found and I wasn't even making a big song and dance about it. <laughs> then that's brilliant. But yeah, no, that, I mean, for, for, for people like me and you who eat everything, uh, and I'm assuming you, you eat like animal products and everything, mm. but um, for me, I'm always making that conscious effort. How can I make this meal plant-based? How can I get more plants in my, in my diet? And it kind of resonates around the, um, the, the TED Talk uh, message at the end of my TED Talk, where I say, can you add just one more, just one more portion of fruit vegetables nuts or seeds at every meal time because it's that cumulative impact of your diet that has those beneficial ramifications down the line not the inclusion of one insert quote-unquote superfood uh once a week or whatever so i'm really glad that resonated oh 100 to the point where i think i probably only have maybe two meals a week is probably the average where it's like a meat-based meal amazing amazing that's great that's, uh, that's pretty much how I eat <laughs> and part of it as well is because I paid attention as well and when I am eating more plant-based even if it's something like uh I, I always bang on about it but it's one of my favorite dishes Ian Hayes seven day basket his yes. mushroom and lentil bolognese yeah it's because when I eat it I don't feel overly full I don't feel bogged down by it. I don't feel like it zaps me of energy. It's almost, it feels like clean fuel, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, no, no, I completely understand that. Because like, let's say I will have red meat probably once every two weeks, right? And maybe it's because my microbes have adapted to having a plant-focused and plant-fueled diet. But the next day, A, sorry, it shows this too much, TMI, but I'm definitely a little bit more constipated. Yep. And B, I feel sluggish, like I feel slow. And so I'm consuming those things because 
A, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy steaks. I love making a bavette. I love making, you know, broths and stews and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I, and I need it for the nutrition value, a little bit of the hemine, a little bit of the um, B vitamins that you get from, um, from, from red meats. But, you know, I could very easily just be 100% plant-based um, and, and supplement accordingly because you know, I feel so much better when I'm on plants. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> You're high on plants is what I'm hearing. I'm high on plants, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, you know, veganery is a good experiment for people who are interested in trying out a lifestyle that is fueled by plants because generally people feel lighter, they feel happier. It's not for everyone um we're all very nutritionally unique um but certainly as an experiment uh, and we're all entitled to do little experiments particularly when they're fueled by ethical reasons or you know, health reasons uh, i th think it's an interesting uh, way of eating and whole food plant-based is certainly the one that is has got a lot of evidence behind it I just had a conversation actually on the podcast with an elite uh, sports nutritionist who is plant-based. And one of the things that came up when I asked the Facebook group is, uh, is all of these ideas of, well, you will be lacking in something if you go plant-based, so you will not be getting all of your nutrients. And that was very much kind of, no, actually, the results would suggest that plants actually deliver great nutrients. You're not lacking in iron, you're not lacking in vitamin B12. Maybe you should take a vitamin D supplement. But you mentioned there about eating red meat uh, mm. because of the nutrients. Mm, yeah. Would you have to be quite considered if you were to say, well, I'm going to go fully plant-based to make sure that by taking meat out of your diet, you were, it was still the nutrients that you would get from that, you were still getting in a plant-based meal? Yeah, so I would probably, I, I, you know, considering the way I eat, which has got a really good mixture of beans, pulses, lentils, as well as all the different types of high fiber items and colorful fruits and vegetables, I probably wouldn't have to change much. The only other thing that I would add is uh, a supplementation regime. So I already am pretty fastidious with my omega-3 supplements, uh, vitamin D3 because of the, the, the complexity of the complexion of my skin um, and also uh, B vitamins. So I, I would probably just up my vitamin B12 if I'm honest. Most people, and I'm no longer surprised whether you're, vegetarian or you eat meat tend to have issues with B12 these days. I'm no longer surprised when I see low vitamin B12 levels. So there's definitely something else going on with regards to our overall diets, our ability to absorb B12 and, and sources of B12 in the diet. But that's certainly one that sticks out for me. Um, and, and like I said, I, you know, maybe it's a bit of a fallacy for me to say, well, I need a bit of red meat in my diet because of the nutrition uh, values. And maybe I'm just trying to qualify the fact that I absolutely love having <laughs> red meat every now and then. And it's sort of, you know, exercising my, my choice to have a bit of indulgence every now and then. But, um, but yeah, there probably wouldn't be much. It's a, it's a good question. Yeah, because I do think it seems to be, there's that joke, isn't there? How do you know if someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like it, it really gives veganism a bad rap. But the more I read about it and the fact that plant-based vegan, kind of the same thing. Mm. Um, I still use it interchangeably because I'm not, I'm sure there's a Venn diagram where there's a little bit of crossover. But anyway, um, yeah. I feel like veganism gets quite a bad rap. But actually, when you look at the evidence, and when I say evidence, and I'm sure you will see this because I know that you 
really love a clinical trial, you love the latest papers um, and research. The evidence overwhelmingly is that it is, if you are wanting to improve your health, extend your life, improve your quality of life, then plant-based is probably one of the first things that you could do to actually really make sure those things happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would say, so, so first of all, pl- plant-based in the scientific terminology uh, actually means something quite vague. It's where you derive most of your nutrition from plants. So depending on which um, definition you're looking at, it can mean something like 80 to 90% plants with some judicious use of animal products as well. Um, and then whole food plant-based is again one of the terminologies that's in place of veganism because veganism can apply to a whole bunch of things where you don't eat honey for example you don't wear leather products and and all the other uh, attributes of of, uh, what someone would class as vegan Um, and I think certainly absolutely the more plants in your diet the less likely you are to suffer from health outcomes whether that's from the increase in consumption of fruits and vegetables around, you know, towards 10 day, uh, or whether that's because you're removing animal products because they are inherently quote unquote bad for you. That's where it's very hard to tease out those differences in nutritional science because we're relying on a lower hierarchy of evidence. Uh, But certainly I would, I would agree that a plant predominant diet, a plant-focused diet, plant-forward diet, whatever you want to call it, is, is the way to go when you're looking at longevity and health benefits and health protection. Now, this is something that you probably have had many more messages than I have, but definitely in the 10 months that we've been in lockdown uh, or various stages of lockdown, I've had yeah. lots of messages from people who have said that at the beginning they indulged because it was like we were on holiday weren't going to work. So everyone sort of treated it like a holiday. So junk food came out, alcohol consumption increased. And now I've definitely noticed a real steer towards people going the other way of actually, I've got time to cook all the things or to be considered about my food choices in a way that I hadn't been before. And I wondered if that's something that you you have been getting, because obviously if you go to your Instagram, you DM you, I'm guessing people respond to you about the content you put out, which is very food-based. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I was definitely in the same category of indulging a lot more, drinking a lot more. Um, I was going to work a lot more, so it was definitely a lot more stress. Um, And with the exposure to the healthcare environment, I'm also exposed to the Haribo on the ward, the insert chocolate biscuit, the gestures, all the rest of it. And like, and that just surged, like you had all these wonderful relatives of patients and, and ex-patients, you know, dropping off food parcels. You had a whole bunch of like junk food deliveries coming up. And like, obviously as, as pro- like professionals on the quote unquote front line, you know, we were like, yeah, we deserve this. We're going to eat this pizza. We're going to have that donut, um, which is clearly the wrong thing to do. And, and, you know, I was coming back and I was having like a glass of wine because you need one to unwind or, or whatever. So I was definitely in the category of indulging and having way too much sugar during those sort of months. And I think there was a transition point where we realized that there was uh, a correlation between those who had comorbidities, likely as a result of poor lifestyle, whether it be obesity, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure. There was definitely a correlation between those people and having worse outcomes and at higher risk of worse outcomes if you were to have COVID, which 
for many people was surprising. For me, someone who's looked at this for a while now, is definitely not surprising at all because let's take COVID out of the equation. If you do have a metabolic issue or you are overweight or you do have type two diabetes, let's say, you're much worse. Uh, uh, you, you have much worse outcomes when it comes to post-operative problems and complications, uh, a worse effect with seasonal flu, a worse risk of cancer, a whole bunch of other correlations with mental health problems. It, it's, it, you know, it shouldn't be surprising to us that those who had COVID and contracted COVID were gonna have worse outcomes. But I think it really, because COVID was on everyone's mind, it still is, I think it just really magnified the effect of, okay, well, I've got to get healthy because I don't want to contract this deadly disease that's sneaking around everywhere and is highly transmissible. So um, from that perspective, it's quite welcome uh, out of tragedy that at least we may be trending towards a lifestyle and actually encouraging ourselves and, and having the motivation to do something about it and prevent a rift of other conditions as well as the, the poor complications from COVID. So definitely I, I've seen a lot more people interested and in reaching out and saying, you know, it's great that you get this content. It's great that you, you know, come up with the books and all the rest of it, because it, it generally is helping people educate and also provide a meaningful way to uh, attain healthy eating every single day, um, which is, you know, kind of what the mission is with, with Doctor's Kitchen. I'm going to actually ask you then about a documentary that came out last year. It was on BBC Two and it was where they put uh, people who were struggling with their weight into a house. I don't know if you saw this one. And uh, there were, they showed... It, starts like the, it sounds like the start of most documentaries. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and reality TV shows. Yeah, um, yeah. People who were struggling with their weight. Some people were trying to lose it. They had people go in who had diabetes and had really serious complications and issues because of being overweight and the diabetes. And they also had uh, someone in there who was saying that all of the all of the stuff about obesity and health is a myth and it's not true and they're an intuitive eater and it's all a conspiracy. And I hear this quite a lot, this idea that the data about obesity and health has been has been exaggerated in order to shame people into losing weight. But as a doctor, now I've got you on the podcast, I would really like your input on that. Yeah, I mean, uh... So, so it's, hard, it's hard to know where to start. I, mean, I haven't watched the program. It sounds like a really interesting watch. So I'm definitely going to dig that out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the idea that there's this massive conspiracy aimed at shaming, you know, a, a large proportion of the population, including many of us health practitioners, is, is kind of bonkers if you think about it. Um, you know, I, I definitely believe that you can be metabolically healthy uh, whilst appearing, uh, according to the BMI measurements, overweight, because BMI is a very blunt tool. It's useful in a research setting on a N equals one, i.e. the person in front of you. How important is that? Not as important as I think a lot of people put uh, emphasis on. So, I, I, you know, I, I agree to an extent that, you know, you can be metabolically healthy whilst appearing to be overweight, but that doesn't excuse the clear correlation between overweight and, and obesity with a plethora of different conditions. That's just complete 
bonkers if you if you ask me and I'm, I'm being quite blunt because I want to make sure that people are very clear that we can't be encouraging people to feel that you know it's absolutely fine to be obese and morbidly obese because you know x person says uh, you can be healthy that 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 doesn't make any sense whatsoever so purely looking at the uh, associations with obesity and, and all the other issues that you can have associated with that you know we want to encourage people to be active to eat well to uh, live mindfully to sleep well etc because those are the definitely the things that are going to have the biggest impact but that doesn't excuse uh, obesity as, as a problem um, I hope that's making sense but you know there's definitely a health at every size movement and there are some fundamental principles that I do agree with but if they are sort of like using erroneous data or interpretation of certain studies to defend the you know the fact that it's fine to be obese and and you know that's that's where I kind of draw the line from a science point of view we don't want body shaming. We don't want people to feel crap about themselves. We want people to feel confident when they go to a gym and, and wear whatever they want to wear. That's that's not the issue at all. It's miseducating people in that it's okay to want to be obese, which I think a lot of these kind of uh, sources are almost encouraging because th that's just, that just doesn't make any sense from a from a, a nutritional or a medical point of view. It's really interesting. And also people who remember you from your last time you came on the show, you are one of the best people to speak to about health and diet because you made an incredible change and improvement to your own health just based on nutritional changes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, my, my own personal experience of being uh, a patient, understanding sort of how embarrassing it was to sort of be a 24 year old with no pre-existing issues and then suddenly have a cardiac problem uh, and the vulnerability associated with that. Like I understand to an extent why it's frustrating and why, and why you'd almost want an alternative uh, as well to sort of explain how you, how you feel. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult for people who live in a society where we celebrate being thin mm. uh, and you don't ascribe to that population or you, you don't you know feel like you should do and you shouldn't people shouldn't want to you know look and 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 uh, achieve a certain way that that's not what i'm saying whatsoever but um you know using nutrition and good lifestyle as a tool to achieve a happier mindset as well as a healthier body that's kind of what i want to promote not a perfect ideal of a vivacious 20-year-old male who's got chiseled abs and all the rest of it. That's not like, that's a, that, that's the idea of wellness that's kind of been pushed onto us rather than wellness that I think is a lot more diverse, inclusive and uh, culturally relevant as well. Um, it's kind of why, like, I'm really grateful that I'm a GP in inner city London because I get... I'm privy to a whole bunch of different people, a whole bunch of different perspectives. And what we've been like traditionally taught as like the eat well plate or the food pyramid or whatever, just looks very Western. It looks very Eurocentric. And I don't, I think we're conforming in a, in a, in a lot of ways, we conform to a whole bunch of other attributes of what wellness looks like, but I think we're conforming good nutrition to a Eurocentric plate. And I think it needs to be a lot more inclusive. It needs to include 
Sri Lankan dishes, Korean dishes, uh, a whole bunch of different parts of African dishes. You know, th there's a whole bunch of, of different ways in which we can be a lot more inclusive than that. That's a really good point. I had never even thought about that. When you when you get that picture of the plate and it's like a third meat, third potato, yeah. third carrot and a bit of green poking out from behind it. That's meat and two veg, isn't it? Basically. Yeah, That's exactly. A hundred percent. And, you know, you give that to a 60 year old Indian matriarch and they'll look at it like it's a complete alien sheet that you've given them and so you know it's one of the things that um we work really hard on at culinary medicine to be as inclusive as possible from the standpoint of you know if if you if you come from um uh, an ethnic minority you're more likely to suffer with a whole bunch of the the conditions um, related to lifestyle poor lifestyle and so you know we should be really reflecting the nutrition information that we give toward people and what they tend to eat and how we can teach them to make very simple changes or additions to their diet that are relevant to how they eat. So, you know, I had a, a gentleman come in, a Sri Lankan guy um, a few months ago, I think with a, a flare up of his IBD. And, you know, I'm not going to be talking to him about kale salad. I'm going to be talking about, you know, replacing the curried goat that he has a couple of times a week with, with lentils or a, another appropriate sort of, sambal with loads of veggies that he actually likes to eat and you know luckily he likes frozen spinach and so we could add that to it and then he he's heard of of white beans <laughs> they can add to that as well they can get really cheaply so you know this is these these sorts of practices that we need to be and be aware of the slant uh, away from uh, inclusion in in as subtle as you know the products that we have as medical professionals like the eat well plate for example a lot of people don't really realize that yeah I'd never really considered that before and actually I was chatting to a friend on text earlier and we were saying it's if you say say for example you wanted to lose weight it's really easy to understand the science of how to lose weight mm. it's the application of it that's really yeah. challenging and I feel like the same with eating well and I had Rongan on recently and I've obviously had you on before and all of all of the books that you guys put out particularly Rongan's latest and this 321 is all about how to simplify it because the fact of the matter is you can talk about nutrition you can talk about food until the cows come home but unless you know how to put it on a plate and feed yourself well it's a real challenge yeah I, I, exactly and I I feel like I've been on a bit of a journey with my books in particular, because the first book for me was trying to A, stamp my sort of authority on it. Like, you know, I've done the homework, look at all these references that are in the back of the book, look at, you know, the sort of foodies journey through food as medicine and, and why food can impact the expression of your genes, why it can impact your microbiota, why plant-focused diets are the way forward, you know, what the evidence is for, behind all those things, as well as sort of my foodie credentials, like look at how glamorous I can make this piece of parsnip or like how uh, interesting we can make um, different sorts of main meals and you know, the culinary techniques that I use. And I think my first couple of books were, were kind of complicated in that way. And what I was privy to is a ton of feedback, um, mostly positive, some negative, and a lot from my friends as well. So too many spices, 
too many complicated steps. Uh, the nutrition side they found fascinating, but it was really overwhelming. How do you apply that? Like you said, how do you apply that every single day? And so after like listening to a whole bunch of people and realizing how I cook myself every single day, I realized that the, the way forward is to totally re-envisage what a doctor's kitchen recipe looks like. It's got to have adequate, if there was one thing I, I could focus on, it's, it's going to have adequate fruit and vegetable uh, um, uh, uh, amounts. It's going, to, it's going to be in line with the healthy eating principles, the quality of fats, whole food, uh, lots of colors, plant focused and, and, and eating uh, lots of fiber as well. And it's got to be simplified into one pan because that's how I cook every day. Like when I'm finishing A&E, for example, you know, the last thing I want is multiple pans on the hob and like putting things in the oven and toasting nuts and, and all those different foodie elements that are not really that essential on a Wednesday at 7 p.m. when you're knackered. You don't really, you know, you're not going to be posting this on Instagram. So why would you make all that effort? Uh, you know, at the weekend, go for it. Do a Nigella, do a Nigel Slater, do, you know, insert amazing chef. But during the week, you want someone to just like hold your hand and, you know, encourage and support you in the knowledge that, you know, what you're eating is nourishing, is fantastic for you. It's going to have all these different health benefits. You just need to stick with it. And so that's kind of where 321 came from three portions of fruit and vegetables per person, two servings per recipe, just double it for a family of four and all using one pan minimizes the washing up. And it just simplifies the process of creating stir fries, curries, casseroles, tray bakes, you name it. You can, you can make all those different dishes just using one pan. Um, so yeah, so it's been a bit of a journey, I think um, across it. And also doing my master's in nutritional medicine, it's kind of, it's made me um, even more confident about what I can talk about and uh, has encouraged me to be a bit more outspoken about food as medicine, I think. Um, not just from the credential point of view, but because I, I've had to do a whole ton of research <laughs> for all the different subjects and all the different essays I've had to do over the last couple of years. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's kind of come around to that simplification of, of healthy eating and, and helping people do that every day. And it's really interesting because in my own uh, relationship with food, and we can come on to relationships with food in mm. a sec, but I think that when I think about food, I think maybe there, maybe this is something that happened in the 80s where we tried to simplify food and so we made it fast. Mm. And actually we're having to come back from that because in making it fast, which was obviously a great development if you think about it in some ways, we took out the magic of it a little bit and we um and we talked about this a little bit before but we it was the short-termism it was about the the instant fix of how it tasted in the here and now and how it was available out of a microwave or what out of a drive-through window or what have you and it was there and it was available and you could have it and you could get that quick hit but actually the, the real magic in food is the preparation how it makes you feel while you're eating it and then how it makes you feel maybe the next day. And I wonder whether, I mean, obviously you've done way more research than I have in this, whether that's something that's been observed in the sense of the relationship with food generally really, yeah. really changed when it went fast and we now need to relearn how to love food. Yeah. And I, I really agree with a whole bunch of those sentiments actually, because in, in making it fast, it was certainly 
something to to be celebrated i think back in the day because it kind of freed the the typical household setup of the mother being slaving away behind a cooker and you know being subservient to the children and the husband all that and that kind of you know typical um setup it kind of freed the the the, the female in that household to to do other things and that i remember you know when my mum was um still working in banking we would uh we would have like you know fish fingers and freezer food and all that kind of stuff and you know it was those things that actually allowed my mum to do a whole bunch of things because she still wanted to be there for her kids but she also wanted to achieve her you know career ambitions of which she still did so you know there, there are some elements that I really want to celebrate but then what's the opportunity cost what is the what is the trade-off with that and I think the trade-off is like you said we we lost that relationship with food we lost the respect that we should have for food and the appreciation for for cooking food from scratch as well and the uh, the um, the expectation that food should be fast is sort of still perpetual in society today, such that, you know, instead of me competing with a ready meal that you have to go to a supermarket to go and purchase and put in the microwave, I'm now competing with someone's finger on the end of their phone because mm-hmm. they can get the same quality of higher quality food you know, deliver direct to them without, you know, any issue whatsoever. Um, so I think, yeah, we've definitely lost a whole bunch of uh, of the cultural elements around food. And I think we'll, we'll always have an appreciation for sitting around a table with your friends and stuff, but we need to learn how to enjoy that every, every single day. Um, and I, I'm a big proponent of food and the whole cooking process being a, a very much a, an act of mindfulness. It's something I've talked about in my previous books. It's something that I certainly practice every day. Um, and my sort of goal with 321 is to allow people to enjoy that experience by focusing and stripping down the processes such that you can still use whole foods. You can still enjoy sort of the therapeutic process of cooking whilst it's saving time, whilst it's saving the washing up and whilst it's looking after your health as well because we definitely need to have that going forward. And unfortunately, it's a bit of an uphill struggle given that the default option is so easy and so convenient these days. Um, So yeah, it's going to take a bit of convincing. (laughs) Um, Yes, maybe. But I mean, the book is, I mean, it's so accessible and the variety is just, I, it's one of those books where you look at the recipes and you think it would be impossible to get bored. It's not just flavors, it's textures, it's all different. It's so many different options. You mentioned something there I'd like to come back to uh, and regular listeners will know this is obviously a subject close to my heart. I don't want to make this show about me. It's about tapping into your expertise. But you mentioned there about people's relationship with food. I've been Mm. very open about mine and how I was definitely an overeater. And I'm curious whether when people communicate with you and they ask for advice, people contact me all the time asking for skincare advice. And sometimes I say, oh, you might want to see a dermatologist about that. Do people ever contact you about their diet and you think, actually, I might need to refer you to a mental health professional who might be able to talk to you about some of the connections that you have with food because they don't seem to be serving you very well? Yeah. So, I mean, people contact me about food all the time. I'm really clear that I can't give any advice. Um, 
it's and this is where it's kind of useful having a podcast because I can speak with a professional uh, who has expertise in a certain area at length without giving direct advice to anyone and people can glean what they want from those podcast conversations so it's very useful having a podcast in that respect because I can then just say look listen to this podcast speak to a registered dietitian or nutrition specialist who understands your personal situation because I'm not I'm not in the game of giving out advice on social media and a lot of people realize that but with regards to the relationship with food, it's an interesting one. So there's, there's two things I want to talk about, actually. So the first was uh, over the summer when there was this big sort of realisation by the government of the association between um, poor COVID response and uh, lifestyle-related illnesses, including obesity and high blood pressure, cardiovascular issues. You, you know, there's this big sort of like push to to get the the country on a diet uh, and to you know put calorie labeling on uh, menus and oh, you yes. know create this this whole sort of circus around you know everyone's got to go on a diet. We're all too fat. And rule, you know, insert insult. Um, and I remember vividly, I had this lady come in. I was in A and E, and she was talking about losing weight and uh, a whole bunch of other things that were really unusual because she looked. And you know, forgive me for for making stereotypical associations here, but she looked fairly healthy. She did not appear overweight she definitely didn't have any other issues that i would be worried about and so we actually ended up having a conversation about her relationship with food and you dig a little deeper and you realize throughout her life she'd had issues with food an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating and the conversation around the country needing to go on a diet was enough of a trigger for her to you know start making or start thinking and spiraling to shame around food. I'm a big proponent of understanding the difference between guilt and shame. It's okay to feel guilty about things. I feel guilty when I watch Netflix at 10 p.m. And that means that I lose sleep and I feel groggy the next day. That guilt from watching Netflix too late is gonna keep me on the straight and narrow the next day. If that guilt spirals into shame where I feel crap about myself, I beat myself up, I can't believe you're so lazy, you watch Netflix the whole time and you're, you know, you're a piece of whatever and you don't deserve this, you know, that's when it becomes problematic. So there, have to be, there has to be a difference between these two emotions. And I think for this particular individual, the guilt around food and, and you know, the, the, the associations with COVID we're spiraling to shame, which is completely inappropriate to her situation. And I, I fear, and this has been borne out by a whole bunch of, uh, a bunch of data looking at the number of um, eating disorder, out, uh, the charities and initiatives that had an increased number of phone calls and people reaching out, which is a good thing. We need to encourage people coming out if they have issues. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But that was definitely something that went up uh, all really? of the 2020. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and there are a whole bunch of things around the news and the media that would have perpetuated that mm. as well. And on the one hand, it's good to see people reaching out. On the other hand, it's like, oh my God, you know, j- just by saying a few things that might be applicable to certain people, it can be very negative for other people. Mm. And towing that balance of the government's responsibility to inform whilst being mindful of the negative impact is something very, very hard uh, to do. And I'm glad I'm not in their situation. Um, The other thing I think almost perpetuated by a few experiences like like I had with that patient uh, over the summer and even in A&E as well, led me to realize, you know, as someone who's on social media shouting about healthy eating all day, every day, I can't be a filter for other people. Other people need to be a filter for the influx of content that we have across Instagram and you know all the different other social media platforms. I can't, all I am is a massive microphone for my cause, but my cause and my content might be wholly inappropriate for a whole bunch of other people. So I did this whole thing on, on Instagram where I was like, you need to unfollow me if you feel that you meet this criteria, you have an unhealthy relationship with food, you, uh, I trigger you, you feel um, guilt whenever you look at one of my posts. And if you don't want to look at uh, healthy food or, you know, food all day long, then you definitely don't want to be listening to my account. You don't want to be following my account <laughs> because that's all I'm going to be doing. Um, uh, because, you know, I, I'm serving a different audience. So as, as a, as an influence, I hate the term, but as someone who has a degree of influence, I also have to take a bit of responsibility for who interacts with my content as well. Um, so ever since then, I've kind of been regularly putting out, stop following, stop following me if you know if if this if you meet this criteria. And there's even a questionnaire that I believe is on the Beat uh, website, um, which is the uh, an eating disorder charity or initiative. I can't remember if they're charity or not. But um, there's a questionnaire that you can take as well uh, and find out whether you might have an unhealthy relationship with eating. So I think it's super important. And it's something that uh, for me personally, as someone who shouts about fruits and vegetables the whole time, you know, I also need to be respectful of the fact that that might be wholly inappropriate for a whole bunch of people and they should take the initiative to to unfollow and to, yeah. I think that's really brilliant because... I've noticed, uh, I've made some decisions about how I put my content out. And I have friends who you would say occupy the body positivity space or body confidence space. So the majority of their content is about body acceptance, for example. With my own content, I really don't want to apologize for it. I don't know if that's where you are. I'm like, I'm not going to apologize for it. Mm. But just know I mean no harm by what I'm putting out. But this is what I believe will be useful. And I want to reach the person who it will resonate with. But I realize that in reaching a wider audience, there are probably going to be people I'm going to trigger. And that is unintended. And I 
I am going to have to apologize for that. And it's such a fine balance, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. And I, I think you're right about the um, unapologetic approach because, you know, you, 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 our content isn't there for everyone, but for those who it serves, it serves really well. And there's no reason why you should apologize for that. And honestly, and I know this is a bit of a hard line approach, but people have to be filters for their own content. I, I curate my own digital landscape. You know, I have to take responsibility for that because that's on me. If something is making me feel toxic or negative, and there's a whole bunch of charity medics as well on social media, I completely unfollow a lot of them because it just, it doesn't make me feel great. And, you know, I get enough of that from Twitter I get enough of that from my feed in general. So it's on me to remove that negative energy from, from things that I choose to interact with. And that's why it's kind of like, don't apologize, but encourage people to be a lot more mindful about their activity because that's only going to be a positive thing. That's such a, such a good point. I, I know with my own, for example, my weight loss, a lot of people have said to me who my background is in magazines. So a lot of my magazine editor friends have said, you would get more followers, you get much more interaction if you did before and after pictures all the time on your Instagram. But I don't, because it's actually, it's a problem, I think, to share that these days. There's a part of me that would love to, because I'm really proud of what I've, I've achieved. <laughs> but equally, you have to, I don't, because I think about the person who might see it, as I would have done a few years ago, and then felt crap about myself. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's an interesting it's an interesting point because at the same time you could argue that you're not being your authentic self mm -hmm. by not posting it right um if that's going to make you feel good about yourself you know rightly or wrongly or whether you feel that this could be motivating for people or beneficial for other people who are of a similar you know background or age or whatever you, you know maybe you could argue that you should be posting on the, on the other side you kind of have to be respectful to the audience that you might have grown and curated over the last few years as well i definitely have uh suffered with those kind of issues myself i i, I look at the optics of what what people think of me whereas really when i started out i was as authentic as possible because i didn't i didn't it's not that i didn't care it's it's i cared more about the mission rather than me as an individual and how people might perceive me. Uh, and, and that's something that I'm still working on in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but it's an interesting conversation to have. I'm glad we're having this conversation because, you know, it comes, it props up a lot. Every time I post, I'm always getting anxiety, you know, with people think that, and I have to learn, I have to train myself. And perhaps there's something you need to do as well to, to not care, not from the perspective of, I don't care about, you know, people, but I don't care about other people's perception of me in a negative way. I'm just putting out love and, and positivity where I can. And if this kind of fulfills that criteria, then I'm going to click post and I'm going to let it out there. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that um, it's funny what you say when you start out, you're kind of, a, you know, an unformed bit of clay on the wheel. And so yeah. you're kind of, you're being shaped all the time and you get to do the shaping because there's not really a hell of a lot of feedback at the beginning. And then all of a sudden you start getting feedback and it does, it affects how you, how you grow. And I guess, yeah, I just, my whole thing is I just don't want anyone to ever think, oh, because of something that I saw, heard or, or 
um yeah saw or heard on um yeah. emma's feed or podcast i i went away and felt bad about myself the whole idea yeah. is to be empowering and i know that's what you want to do too so let's dig into three two one a little bit because i know you've already <laughs> mentioned it but three two one it's three portions of vegetables per person fruit and vegetables yeah. per person yeah. uh right get talk me through it again because i'm talking through it <laughs> So it's uh, three portions of fruit and vegetables, nuts and seeds per person, two servings per recipe, all using one pan. So all the recipes that include stir fries, casseroles, curries, tray bakes, um, all only use one pan and they they have two servings. So you know if you want to double it, you can feed a family of four. But the, the key message is we need to eat more and we need to eat more of the the health promoting ingredients, i.e. fruits and vegetables. If there was one thing that I could change about people's diets, it would be increasing fruit, fruit and vegetable consumption. Um, it kind of, I was kind of inspired by this piece of research that came out, I think it was Imperial College a few years ago, where they discovered the optimal amount of fruits and vegetables to consume per day to stave off disease and improve health and well-being was 800 grams of fruits and vegetables. And I was like, wow, that's a lot, that's a lot of fruit and vegetables, kilo, nearly a kilo every day. Um, but then if you break it down into different meals and you, you, you formulate and cleverly create meals that take less time, but still hit those numbers, you know, that's kind of like the ideal recipe book. And that's, that's where the concept kind of elevated from. And it's, I'll be honest, this is genuinely how I cook most of the week. Like I only use one pan. I concentrate all the flavors into one pan. So you've got the Maillard effect of your uh, onions and the caramelization, you're, you're, you know, adding herbs and spices to that. You, you know, you, you focus all the, the elements of food. And there are some other tricks that you can use where you, like I've, I've already got a handful of, of um, uh, non-veg dishes, but there's, there's a, uh, a point where you, you brown off the, the chicken in a chicken almond curry recipe. You take that out. So that's all got the, the browning on the outside and you've got some of the, the sugars on the bottom of the pan. And then you add the things to that and you scrape that off with a wooden spoon. And so you concentrate and get all those flavors into one pan. There are a whole bunch of little like hacks and techniques there that actually make food beautiful and flavorful. And it was, it was a pleasure to work on this because there's a, there's a seven day challenge in it. And the challenge isn't not, isn't about like achieving the recipes and, you know, all the rest, even though you would have consumed in upwards of 10 portions of fruit and vegetables a day, but the challenge is it only takes 15 minutes of prep per day. So there's like five minutes or 10 minutes per day of, of cooking. And the way you use leftovers minimizes the waste and it maximizes, um, you know, the time where you're not cooking. So you can enjoy the food with your loved one and you don't have to think about it too much. You don't have to do meal prep. You don't have to do like, you know, a couple of hours at the weekend, none of that stuff. It's just the process of, of how you use food. So yeah, I tried it out on a whole bunch of people as well. Um, uh, some of my best friends were the, the people that I had in mind when creating the recipes because they're not foodies. They don't know how to cook, but they are motivated by health. You know, they're all mid-30s plus. They've got kids. They're all worried about their cholesterol. You know, a lot of them are a bit they've put on a bit of weight obviously they've got the the dad bods or whatever so that's kind of the the archetypal person that i wanted to create these recipes for because in in being able to convert someone who doesn't cook someone who does cook and enjoys cooking every day 
I mean, that's the goal. So yeah, that's three, two, one in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I really, I really like it. And the simplicity of it is what really appealed to me. But with that said, I mean, I can't speak for women everywhere, but I don't know if you've ever seen a woman in the kitchen department of HomeSense. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm speaking here about me and my friend Charlotte, when we were able to go to HomeSense, which is our guilty yeah. pleasure, we yeah. are like you, we are on a mission. It's like our brain, we're scattering. Oh, I need a whisk. Oh, I need that egg separator. We go. <laughs> and so there's, my kitchen is full of all sorts of bits of nonsense because I'm like, I need more spatulas whenever I go to a kitchen <laughs> store. But actually there's none of that fuss and nonsense. And if you look, if you listen to what we've just been talking about, where you say you've accommodated lots of cultural cuisines, you've accommodated mm. lots of different dietary needs and wants, there's lots of fresh vegetables, there's lots of this, that, and the other. You might think, God, I'm gonna need a mandolin to get that cabbage to look yeah. so great. I'm gonna <laughs> need all of these things. But actually there's no pressure. I flick through and I feel like, actually, I think I got everything I need. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the, the kind of pressure there actually, because a lot of my friends don't have any of these fancy equipments. I mean, I'm like you, I love a mandolin. I love, you know, a fine zest grater instead of, you know, a coarse grater and like, you know, the, the different graters for everything these days. Rupi, I got a ribbon yeah. one the other day and I was so no happy. Way. I've got a ribbon one. They're great. <laughs> amazing you should see parmesan on my lentil and mushroom bolognese it's like it's like a holiday anyway get back to what we were talking. honestly the 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 degree and the fineness of how you grate your parmesan completely transformed this dish i i, I am convinced i agree i 100 percent agree like when you go to a fancy restaurant and they come over and they've got some like proper like greater that it just i don't know it comes out like a symphony it's not even grated it's just it comes, it's just amazing that's such a good analogy. It comes out like a symphony. It's literally like, you know, musical notes on a page just drizzling down into your beautiful bowl of, you know, ketchup pepper or whatever. Anyway, exactly. I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> My mouth has been watering since you started talking about the sambal a little while ago. Um, yeah, but it, there's, there's simplicity here. Like without being, I know we're making a bit of a joke of it, but you just need really a sharp knife and not really that much else in order to achieve all these beautiful dishes. And Ropey, they are really beautiful. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Honestly, it really does mean a lot coming from a foodie like yourself who, who loves the greater. But I can, um, the, the, the whole mission and everything, and, you know, I was working with a couple of recipe um, testers to, to really, you know, nail this. Uh, you know, it was each recipe has been tested like four or five times as well. Um, you know, the one thing I was really adamant on is every recipe you need to be able to create, which is a, a chef's knife and a chopping board and a pan. That's literally it. And I want to show people that you can make delicious looking food as well as delicious tasting food with just those elements. And in fact, you can make every single recipe in the book just using a casserole dish that's oven proof with a, with a lid. If you've got that piece of equipment, you don't need anything else. There's no need for like a, a, a rice cooker or, you know, a fancy pot or, you know, all these different, no, you just make it using that and that's all you need. Um, and it was a pleasure to, to experiment with that kind of stuff because like you said, you know, the dishes 
like Chinese dishes, there's Korean dishes, there's Greek, Iranian, Middle Eastern design foods. And I, I it was it was really interesting um, because I was going back and forth with the recipe testers as well. And they were like, I had no idea you could do this with just like these different elements or you can make these kind of foods with this, you know, simple collection of spices. And that's that was the exact feedback I wanted because, it, yeah, it was kind of motivating that. So with the meals, is there 800 grams of fruit and veg in each one? Or... <laughs> no, not every single. So, so with the meals, um, most of them uh, contain in excess of uh, three portions of fruit, vegetables, nuts or seeds. So a lot of them are, are three fruit and veg, but most of them have uh, that or more. Um, so the minimum requirement is three portions per person. And I included nuts and seeds. And the reason why is because we traditionally haven't included nuts and seeds because of the fat content. And we're bound to this paradigm of calories in, calories out, right? Which I can understand from an energy perspective definitely holds value. Um, however, when it comes to nuts and seeds, they are really important, critical aspects of our nutrition that have left, been left to the wayside because of the fact that they are fats mm. and therefore energy dense and therefore thought of as fattening. But the reality is we don't absorb all of those uh, calories when you consume fats because they have a lot of fiber. They're, they're more than the fat content and the fats are fantastic because they're monounsaturated fatty acids. They are anti-inflammatory. A lot of them have got omega-3, both short and long chain but also they contain vitamin E, zinc, magnesium, a whole bunch of other phytonutrients that we know are very healthy for us. So why not include those? We definitely need more of those. And when the population at an average is eating three portions of fruit and vegetables per day with a range between zero and five plus, you know, we need to be increasing fruit and vegetable consumption uh, and nuts and seeds by any means necessary. So and it, it makes food a lot more flavorful as well. Um, so, you know, I, I really wanted to, to get that message across, to get, you know, the just one more mantra across and, uh, and, and create, you know, easy meals that people can do every single day on a budget as well. And you also advocate eating the rainbow, which again is another thing when I go to the supermarket. And trust me, I've been to the supermarket and I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get the pizza. <laughs> And then I will take a detour and I'll think plant-based and then I will instantly go for something, pick up something colorful. And it's yeah. about that long-termism. It's not about the short-term hit, obviously biting into a lovely pizza is delicious, but Definitely. I think about what meal is going to serve me best in the long-term. And that's when I, I, I do enjoy cooking from scratch. And that's where I feel like you get the alchemy of, of cooking where you get these raw ingredients that look a certain way and then you turn them into something almost magical. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you know, I make a, an effort to post um, images of me eating takeaway or like sweets in the ward and all the rest of it, because I'm a big proponent of your diet having health benefits, not because of the short termism, you know, the, the, the inclusion of black currants or pomegranates or whatever. It's because of the collection of your, your fruit and vegetable consumption over the long term. So this just one more philosophy, you know, I had a pizza on Friday actually, and I made with that pizza, um, a broccoli side salad. So I had some tender some broccoli. I sauteed that with a bit of garlic, some balsamic vinegar, threw in some rocket leaves, loads of extra virgin olive oil. And that was combined with my, my veggie pizza. 
And so actually I probably got like one or two portions of, of veggies in that one meal, but I still got to en enjoy that beautiful pizza because we, we need to, you need to have that in your diet. It's really important to have indulgences um, and, and keep it as something that's an indulgent rather than something that's a staple every single day. I remember when I had Megan Rossi on the podcast and she said, if you are going to have a McDonald's, just like, just a handful of spinach first. And it's like, it's the, it's the apology that you send down on the way. Like something bad's coming, but here, here's something for the microbiota. Is that the right, is that what it's looking after? Yeah, send down a yeah, handful yeah. of spinach first, just for, just to- I love it. Yeah, yeah no, I, I love Megan's philosophy. That's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you, you hit from uh, any takeaway that's going to have additives and sugars and all the rest of it is not going to be great for your microbiota. But, you know, if you can sort of coax it in a way that um, prepares it or like repairs, probably the wrong word, but, you know, gives a little bit of substrate that your microbes are going to love, um, then that's great. I mean, it's funny the way we talk about food because we always talk about nutrition in terms of nourishing us and ourselves. But in reality, it's our microbes, this collection of bacteria, mostly bacteria, but also fungi, nematodes and viruses even that actually do a lot of the digesting work for us, balancing inflammation, balancing sugar, creating neurotransmitters, having direct and indirect responses to how our mood is as well. So we really need to be thinking about what do our microbes want to eat rather than what do we want to eat um, and, and that's why, you know, fruits and vegetables and varieties is key. I took delivery earlier. I was sent a gift, a really lovely gift, a massive box. And I mean, I'm talking a big old box of um, fresh vegetables. from a oh, nice. Before. And um, I'd never seen kale not in a bag. It was a real yeah. surprise to me to see what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's, this massive crown of kale. And um, what was the company? It's Box Fresh. Is it Box Fresh? Oh, Box Fresh. I don't think I've come across them before. I'll oh, send nice. you the link. I went on the website. I was really impressed because oh, nice. I'm thinking about, um, like I said, thinking about being a bit more plant based. And I know you and I both love the Sainsbury's recipes. And I did that podcast with them where I made the autumnal veggie curry. And I yeah. loved that. So colorful, tasted really great, brilliant, and really actually a pleasure to cook. But, and I'm sure a lot of listeners might be able to relate to this, of that thing of you do the right thing, you go out and you get a load of vegetables and then you go, ah, now what? Or you buy a load <laughs> yeah. of vegetables one week, you eat a ton of vegetables in the space of five days and it just might be such a big shift that you just think, oh, I really want to go back to how I was eating before. You know that yeah. idea of I've got a head of kale in there. Didn't even know it. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a head of kale. It would be really tempting for me to just whack that in a Nutribullet and do it down in one, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing, when you like, when you when you start like January the 1st, like I'm gonna do a, a box of vegetables every single week and you're like, and you get it and you're like, what on earth do I do with this? And that's why people kind of fall off the wagon or, you know, you do something without really coaxing yourself into it gradually. Like maybe the best thing is to get a new piece of vegetable every single week and promise to yourself that you're going to experiment with it, whether that's grating it into a salad, whether it's roasting it and putting it into a curry uh, or, or whether it's, you know, looking at one of your favorite chefs and thinking or, or trying to figure out what they would make with that as well, rather than, you know, going all hard. All I mean, I, I've done the same thing. I remember a few years ago, I decided that I was going to be a runner and I started running in January and I just like 
I just wrecked my ankles. <laughs> so I hadn't prepared myself for it, whereas I should have like, you know, gone a lot, a lot slower and, and eased myself into it. But you, you, like going back to the whole um, uh, change in people's eating habits last year, what did you, did you find yourself change a bit uh, in 2020? In 20, no, because I feel like I made such a massive shift in 2019 that actually I felt like I, it stood me in really good stead. And I, the only mm. thing I've thought is, I wonder how I would have reacted to lockdown in terms of my relationship with food if I hadn't fixed it in 2019. Ah, gotcha. Mm. Um, because actually it was something that was I was able to use as a constant. Like I very much like the meals that I like and I try to add to them every now and again. And also we had that thing for, for a long time actually where access to food for the first time and for a lot of us was restricted. Yeah. Yeah, particularly fresh absolutely. food yeah yeah it was um it was very strange like we were all given as nhs staff we were given like the opportunity to skip the line and stuff but like i, I never <laughs> i never entertained that uh, i just thought it was a bit wrong because everyone is deserving of food as anyone else it's not as if like you know we don't deserve and we've been given tons of food anyway like you know just loads of stuff being delivered to the hospital um, but it was a very strange time, actually, um, seeing those empty shelves and, uh, you know, with, with the dreaded B word coming about at the moment as well, I think there's, there's still kind of worries about food security. Um, but what it also did heighten for me, and this is something that we... For international have, listeners, sorry, Rupi, for, um, well, or for, you mean Brexit. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the dreaded B word. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think what it, it did heighten, and this is something we, we we make an effort to do a whole module around on, on culinary medicine, um, is food insecurity and uh, the number of people needing food banks prior to COVID, but also you know increasing during 2020 uh, as as people sort of lost their jobs and stuff. So you know it's. Um, it's made me a lot more grateful uh, for food and that's coming for someone who's pretty grateful most of the time. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, this sort of indulgences that we can overlook and that, you know, out of tragedy, I really hope people see the positive in this experience because most of us um, and hopefully most people listening uh, are fed, are fed well compared to other people. Agreed. And I also think I've said this many times to friends when you think about COVID-19 and you I don't know if you watched at the beginning. It was the top rated film on Netflix here in the UK, Contagion. Yeah, yeah. I and so that. there had been film. I haven't watched it because I couldn't bear to. But there have been films made about what would happen if there was a global pandemic. And as is the case with many things in the movie industry, you know, they, they future gaze and they're like, oh, this is what might happen. In none of those treatments for a movie about what might potentially happen in a dystopian future where there is a pandemic, did they show the meeting at the fast food restaurant where they said, right, we're going to do the ad where we reassure customers that the drive-through is still open. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and yet we've all seen those adverts. Yeah. Don't worry, you can still get your burgers. Which is kind of bonkers. <laughs> it is bonkers. It is really bonkers that, yeah. It's it's weird watching that because, you know, Contagion is pretty, it's got a lot of accuracy behind it. Not not just in terms of how it mimics what's happened, but also the way in which um, the whole process of the pandemic, 
was announced uh, the inclusion of the different uh, and relevant bodies um yeah it's it, it's pretty I, I watched it pretty early on i was like wow this is this is scarily accurate and this at a time where we didn't really know too much about the um, mortality rates and, and infection rates and stuff so yeah so the thing that we can do though is there's various things that we can't control but the things that we can control are things that we eat and we feed ourselves with and actually I did a podcast recently as part of feel good habits and I was talking to my guest and she said I show people I love them with my cooking like cooking for your family cooking for people is an act of love and I also think it's an act of self-love so if you're mm. listening to this and you want to show your family love trust me these recipes will make them feel loved because they are so like they said they look good they taste good they feel good and if you're living by yourself as I am it's also a really nice way of showing love for yourself in a time when obviously it's all a bit things can be a little bit up in the air I appreciate that but yeah no that that honestly that uh that is exactly the sentiment that I wanted to sort of express by creating a book where all the recipes serve two so you know if you are living on your own you've got lunch the next day <laughs> yeah uh, uh or you know you can double it and, and cook it for um, a family of four but yeah, that, that's that's definitely um, sort of the ethos behind um, Doctor's Kitchen because it's it's going to be more than just about the nutrition, even though it's a very important part of it. You know, it's about self compassion, self love, something that I struggle to do and 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 have become a bit better at through mindfulness and, and meditation, um, but also the sort of therapeutic act of cooking. So I I, I feel that it could be an act that is lost if you really look at the sort of like the scale of food production and the convenience options of of food tech as well so you know i think there's always going to be a space for cooking uh, for yourself and we need to you know have this as an activity that we want to do every single day i put it this way you know if there was a pill that replicated the benefits of exercise without having to put in uh, the effort and the experience, and I might be on my own in this, I would still do the exercise because I enjoy that, that 45 minutes or however long I spend when I have to myself. And it's, it's a form of mindfulness. So again, we use the, the same analogy when it comes to cooking. I like that. And I also like the focus away from food as something that you're using to either manage or lose weight, which is obviously mm -hmm. we're in January. There's a hell of a lot of messaging around that, but I think we have talked about the relationship with food and guilt and shame. And actually this very much is about practicality, simplicity and enjoyment and nourishment and taking the, taking the worry out of, if you're eating these meals, you're feeding yourself well, let's not, not let's not think about the weight thing, but it's not like they're all packed with tons yeah. of calories and you'll go, if you eat from this book, you're going to gain weight. It's that you're, if you eat from this book, you're going to feed your health. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like, you know, we could, I could hammer the, the home, the message of the individual ingredients and what their, their benefits are. And like, you know, to an extent there is that inclusion, but it doesn't have to be about that. It's almost like, you know, you can rest assured that that kind of stuff has been taken care of and you can just focus on enjoying the process of cooking, enjoying the food and getting into that sort of habitual way of always cooking every day for yourself without the hassle of all the other extra bits of cooking that we don't like, like the washing up and the preparation and, you know, the multiple bits of equipment that you have to then clean. I mean, cleaning a food processor 
is honestly one of the, the hardest things. <laughs> and that's why I was like, I'm not gonna add any elements of food processing, cleaning the blade afterwards. That's all I think about. When I see a recipe and it's like Tuesday and it's 6 p.m. and it in includes a, a food processor, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not gonna do it on Tuesday. I'll do it <laughs> at the weekend, but not in the middle of the week. So you want simplicity and, and that's what three to one delivers. My favorite thing about my food processor is in the instructions when it said, uh, can be placed on the top shelf of the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, has to, but then you factor in when you make that meal, when I make that meal around, well, how full is the dishwasher? Because I want that in and then I want it washed. It's that, I know exactly what you mean, the inconvenience. Right. <laughs> this has been such an interesting chat, as it always is when I chat with you. But I really do um, appreciate this book. And also, I have my recipe card from the book oh nice the chicken aubergine and black olive stew which is right up my street so i'm definitely nice. going to be trying that i'm also going to go and wrangle a massive head of kale in the kitchen and figure out what to do with that <laughs> any suggestions you can shave the kale like cut it really fine then put it into that stew into the liquor of the stew uh, it will take around six minutes to cook because uh, you don't want to overcook kale because it will become more water and limp but if you put it in for the last six minutes of cooking in that stew, it'll probably work. Nice. Right. That's my evening sorted. There you go. <laughs> nice bit of fine shopping. Um, listeners, the links to Rupee, the book, your social media, your podcast. Have you got a new series? Yeah, of the podcast. I thought, are you doing a TV oh, series? Oh, on BBC. Well? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Sorry, listeners, cookie. you forgot about his series on the BBC. <laughs> It just came out today. It's probably why I forgot about it. So, uh, yeah, it's called Thrifty Cooking in the Doctor's Kitchen. They're basically three, two, one recipes, but all on a budget because I wanted to uh, sort of tackle that that myth that healthy eating is expensive. And so we managed to get um, every serving down to an average of 90p uh, in every single recipe. So, wow. again, there's like stews and casseroles and really interesting. And we've got like an Afghani uh, meal. It's called balani. It's basically stuffed bread with um, greens and, and, and uh, beans in it. It's really, really nice. You have so, it. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you can find that they're all on the BBC iPlayer um, and they'll be, they'll be there for months and months. So, yeah, do, do go check those out. Excellent. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this and you've made me really excited about cooking tonight's meal. Oh, my pleasure, Emma. It's always a pleasure coming on. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rupi and me. If you would like to get in touch with me, it's so easy. You can email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or if you feel so inclined, you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. You can also speak to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast if you click the link to join the Facebook group in the show notes. And those show notes can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Click the link, answer the question, agree to the forum rules, and you'll be welcomed into a forum that is absolutely teeming with activity where we're chatting about all sorts of subjects. So please do come and join us because we would love to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 